Poor George Griswold. The guy spent almost all year preparing for this moment, and, you know, he put his entire self into this, and, and it didn't work in the end. And part of the, part of the pain of that is that he, he, he put so much into this that it, it became a part of him in such a way that it wasn't almost healthy. We're going to talk about that dynamic today. It's called perfectionism. And we're going to see how it's one of those ways God can rob us of the joy that God wants us to have at Christmas. If you're here for the first time, we welcome you to Highlands Church. I hope you feel what, what is happening here. Uh, giving money at Salvation Army uh, giveaways and toy exchanges and all kinds of stuff. So we want us, you to see what we're doing. It's, it's a powerful testament to the Lord Jesus Christ here. Well, last week we began our series called Grinch, which is uh, our series called the uh, Grinch Who Stole Christmas, the one who is from Whoville. Um, but we don't actually want to look at the Grinch. We want to look at the things that steal our Christmas, the things that get in the way of our Christmas celebration. Last week we looked at expectation. And that's looking at life with a sense that life must go a certain way, a very concrete direction. And if we don't get that, then we will be deeply disappointed. And what we saw is that God's plans are better than our expectations. God's plans for our life are actually better than your best expectation for your life. And we also saw that our expectations can sometimes get in the way of God's plans. And that the best way is to clear aside our expectations and allow the manger to take the very center of Christmas. By the way, I know a lot of people had expectations about work and you're, you're kind of you know, dis- discouraged about the work you do. So I want to help you feel better this morning before we start. Uh, next time you complain about your work, just see this. I will never complain about my job again. Would you say that with me as we look at these pictures? Next picture together now. I will never complain about my job again. Next picture. I will never complain about my job again. Again? Come on. You guys do it. I will never complain. Here's one. I will never (coughs) complain about my job again. I will never complain about my job again. Finally, I will never... (coughs) You guys are the lucky ones. You get this at 8. The guys at 11 have to eat lunch right afterwards. All right, so today we're talking about perfectionism. Now, what is perfectionism? Well, it's similar to expectation. Expectation is expecting certain things to happen, and if we're not, we're really upset. Perfectionism is actually inserting ourselves into the plan of expectation. We will make the things that we want in life happen. I want to talk about this, and what generally, and there's nothing wrong with that, uh, I want to talk about what is perfectionism and what's not. Because I hear a lot of people, especially Christians, say, you know, I'm suffering from the sin of perfectionism. I'm just not going to go to college. And I said, no, no, you're suffering from the sin of laziness, okay? There's a big difference. So I want to take a look at what is expectation, or what is perfection, what's not. Now, if we were to look at a chart, we might look at the very bottom part here would be what we might call work, right? That's just good old work. And that's the very bottom piece, and God wants us to work. The book of Ecclesiastes is clear about that. And then on top of that, we might put hard work, right? That's putting in the extra effort, the extra time, the extra energy. And on top of that, any project we do needs finishing touches, right? So none of this is perfectionism. You got your finishing touches there. But then there comes a line which all of us can cross in our lives, depending upon the area, which is called perfectionism. It is, it is involving ourselves in that project to the extent that it actually diminishes the quality of that thing. Let's take an example that I'm sure doesn't affect anyone here. 
Christmas tree decoration. Is anyone here a, a perfectionist with Christmas trees? Okay, we're in safe territory. Now, hard work, work would simply be going to, uh, to the lot to get a tree or a forest to chop down a tree. Maybe not a forest, but somewhere to chop down a tree. Hard work would be maybe taking it home, cutting it for the stand, making sure it fits in the, the hole and getting it in the door and finishing touches. That's taking out the ornaments and making sure they go on the tree. Now, perfectionism is where you see that one bulb on the tree and it's been bugging you all day. And you get out a little, I'm getting a lot of rib, ribbing here, I'm seeing more and more, and that one bulb is making you mad. And you actually polish that bulb to the extent that you take the beauty off the bulb. The, the color and the shine actually comes off of the thing. That's what perfectionism is. It's when we involve ourselves in something to the degree that it actually diminishes what we want to have happen. And what I want to talk about today is this area of perfectionism is not ours to mess with. Once we've done work, hard work, finishing touches, guess who gets to own this spot? God. That's God's area. Now we're going to see how perfectionism can impact all areas of our lives. Let's take a little short list of this. We're going to take a look at, you know, parents can become perfectionistic. I find out the other day that you can actually uh, check your kids' grades every day online in the school system here. If that had happened to me, I wouldn't have gotten through school. My grades were like a roller coaster. That can become, if parents are checking the grades daily or hourly, that can become a kind of perfectionism on the part of the parent. Marriage, I know of a lot of marriages where couples say to me, gosh, we do not have the perfect marriage. And I say, well, don't come talk to me. I don't have one either. Nobody has a very perfect marriage. Body image is a huge area of perfectionism. If my body isn't the image that I think it should be, then I'm somehow not a perfect person. And the worst thing is if you're married to somebody who has this or you have a friend, they're imposing their view of body image. Self-worth. Anybody here a perfectionist in the area of self-worth? You are not happy with just like most people liking you. All, everybody has to like you. That's a kind of perfectionism. This is if you're working with any kind of psychological difficulty or grief. Have you ever worked over an area of your life, just thought about it again and again and again and again and again, thinking that if I just put the finishing super perfectionistic touches on my thoughts, I'll figure this thing out. Or work, and you know what? Spiritual life can be perfectionistic too. A lot of people are perfectionistic about this thing called faith. The man who came to Jesus, the rich young ruler, remember he was the perfectionist. He said, Jesus... I am perfect in everything. I have done so well on everything else. What one thing must I do to attain eternal life? And Jesus saw that he was perfectionistic on everything else, but there was one area that he wasn't, and that was his money. So we're going to take a look at a text today, and I want you to think about your area of perfectionism. It's not going to be the same as mine. I'll tell you mine in a second. I want you to think about your area where you want to control a situation, and you have the tendency to bring about worse ends than what you wanted. We're going to look at one of my favorite texts in the entire Bible, a dear woman by the name of Martha. Now, I want to emphasize here, this sermon is not just for women. There is a tendency for women to feel like they are under the sin of perfectionism and that others aren't. This is for men and women and anyone else who might be out there. I guess that is everybody. All right, let's take a look at <coughs> our text. We're going to look at Luke 10, 38-42. We'll look at a dear woman who's a perfectionist. And if you're a perfectionist, and everyone in here is, you should love this woman. Jesus and his disciples were on their way. 
We talked this last week about the, the great secret of the Bible is the long distances between places you never hear about. So they're on their walk. And Jesus comes to a village in the disciples where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now notice, she doesn't open her home to Peter or Andrew or, or any of the rest of them. She wants the best. We already know from that she's a perfectionist. She wants Jesus. Also notice, she sa- it says her home. In those days, the only way women could actually have property is if their husband had died. So they're a widow and they had no children. So this woman has a high level of pain in her life. Either she has lost a child or never had children, or and her husband has passed away. And we know that she has a sister named Mary and a very sick brother named Lazarus, who's always getting sick. She opens her home to him. Now she had a sister called Mary, a younger sister who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. Now, I don't want to extrapolate too much on this text, but I'm an older brother, and I have a younger brother by the name of Jamie Baird. I don't know if you've met Jamie, but he's coming to church this next week, so you can ask him about these things. And I often feel like Martha, that's Graham, and Mary is my brother Jamie. Early on when we were starting Highlands, I remember being at the movie theater early in the morning, 4 a.m., setting stuff up, and I'd be there making all the preparations, and I'd wonder where my brother Jamie was, and I'd go outside, and there in front of the palm tree, in front of the movie theaters, he was talking to a, a homeless man. And I would say, Jamie, wonderful that you're talking to a homeless man, but we have lots of setup to do in here. Oh, he says, I know, but he's such a wonderful man. He's a Vietnam vet, and he knew George Washington personally, and he was at the Battle of Hastings. And he also was at the Battle of Gettysburg. Shouldn't he preach this morning? No, Jamie, no. So I get the feelings that Martha has in her heart. And I also see the value of a Mary, of a Jamie, talking to someone who needs to be talked to. Now, Mary isn't talking to a homeless man. She's talking to Jesus. Now, Mary, verse 40, was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. It's a bad translation. Better translation is pulled apart. That's what parismapao, that really means to be pulled. She's being pulled apart by all the preparations. Now, here's the thing. What preparations? Martha is a perfectionist, which means that before Jesus got to the house, she'd already done the work, the hard work, and the finishing touches. She'd already put the pads of butter in the middle, right in the middle. She'd already taken all the napkins and creased them right where they're supposed to be creased. What is she doing now when Jesus is in the midst? She's doing perfectionistic things. She's doing things that actually don't help. And Jesus knows it. And she's being pulled apart. Perfectionism actually pulls us apart. It diminishes what we really want to have happen in our lives. So she came to him and said, Lord, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself? The sympathy, you can hear the violins playing. Don't you care about me? All I ever wanted to do is be your friend. I invited you here to my house and nobody else would, but I'm just there by myself in the kitchen. Poor Martha. Oh, it's okay. Don't worry about me. This is the way she reacts when she's in pain. She would do this many years later when Lazarus was dead. Jesus came to visit Lazarus. Remember, Martha meets him on the street and says, Oh, Lord, I guess he didn't care that Lazarus died. Now notice, Martha goes right from sympathy card to anger. You'll see this in life. If you have some relatives who say, Gosh, I guess you don't care about old your mother-in-law. And the next thing you'll see a lash out, trust me, and you'll see it from her here now. Tell her to help me, said Martha. Right after that, sympathy of the violins, and then tell her to help me. Jesus sees that this perfectionist is being pulled apart. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, 
it's the same thing that I try to do at night. If my daughter Haley cries more than 20 minutes, 25, 30 minutes, that's when I know that I'm going to go in there and try to comfort her. And I pick up Haley. She's crying. Haley, what's going on with you? Come on. It's going to be okay. Jesus is saying, Martha, come on. What's going on with you? And then Jesus says this deep, deeply profound thing. You are worried and upset about many things. Notice Jesus doesn't say, you're worried and upset about all the dumb things. No. Jesus knows that the butter pads and the napkins are really not what Martha's worried about. Martha's worried about the fact that her husband passed away and she has no children. And where's her life going to go? Jesus knows our deep, deep needs. And Martha knows that. But Jesus looks her in the eye and says, but only one thing is needed. Only one thing, Martha. And Mary has chosen what's better. And it will not be taken away from her. Now, for years, I've often thought, well, Jesus is being really insensitive here. Have you thought that? That how could Jesus not be sensitive about all the work that needs to be done? Now, if it had been work that needed to be done, Jesus would be insensitive, right? We could say, well, Jesus, don't be hard on Martha. Somebody's got to make all the food. But all the work had been done. All the hard work had been done. All the finishing touches. What Jesus is trying to prevent here is from the frazzle, from the fray, from the pulling apart that happens in our lives. When we try to be perfectionistic, that's the part that God wants to enter into our lives in. That's what I want to talk about today. So I mentioned to you I'm perfectionistic. My biggest area of perfectionism in my life has been public speaking. Uh, Obviously, it's not bodybuilding, as you can see. Uh, It is not in uh, other areas of my life, but it is public speaking or any kind of public thing that I've done. I remember back in the day when I first started as a preacher— I would like literally practice 7 to 10 to 15 practice. That's after it was written 10 times a week. My message in front of the mirror to make sure my eyebrow was in the right place and I would put finger right there and then that and all this and make sure it was... And actually, it was totally counterproductive. What I was doing in my perfectionism is things were getting worse. It was getting more staged. It was looking more fake. But I want to tell you how I got over, or I'm working on anyway, my perfectionism. It's you. It's Highlands Church. You have helped me with this area of brokenness in my life more than anything else. And the way you've done that is just the way that this church has been built. And again, when we started, it was 4 a.m., and it was me in the very beginning and Jamie going down to the theater with a trailer. When you're dropping off a trailer, you can't be perfectionistic about your sermon. And then, back in the day, I was leading the worship. I was playing the songs and and uh, playing, singing along, and I was counting the offering too, and cleaning some of the toilets. You cannot be perfectionistic when you're doing all of those things at once. It helped me so much. And uh, I w- it would often be hard because I knew that I could have done a little better in my message if I had tried, but I couldn't have done all those other things. And so people would often come and say, Graham, don't you think that sermon was a little thin possibly? And I knew to myself, maybe, but that was the best I could do given everything else I had to do. And I learned this phrase in my heart that good enough is going to have to be good enough. And it's been a huge freeing thing in my life to have all of that. So you have helped me hopefully continue. Maybe I need to go back to the theater to keep working on it. Who knows? But it helped me to be feel free to be what God wanted me to be and also to see this less as a performance and to say that all the work that I can do here, I then on a Sunday morning say, all right, that's what I have, Lord. You do the rest. You open the hearts. You bring the people's concerns where they are. 
want you to think about your area of perfectionism. We all have one. And, and the one thing I would say in the very beginning is this. One big inroad is letting Jesus Christ be the perfectionist. Letting Jesus Christ be the perfectionist and not you. So there's this golfer who was there, and uh, he was about to hit this hole and hit this ball into the hole, hopefully about five par hole. And, and this voice comes from heaven and says, wait, use a new ball. Wow, says the guy, that's God speaking to me, and he wants me to hit a hole in one. This is incredible. This is my moment, and he's about to hit his new ball. And then he hears another voice in heaven and says, wait, take a practice swing. So the guy backs up, and he takes a practice swing, and now God's going to help him hit a hole in one. And then the voice in heaven says, wait, check the distance. So the guy checks the distance, and he's ready to hit the hole in one. And then this voice in heaven says, wait, Use the old ball again. It's a really bad joke because there's no punchline. But it makes my point. God is the perfectionist. When you look at the world, when you look at nature, when you look at the things that are around us, you have to realize that only a perfectionist could do this kind of thing. When you look at the yellows and the whites, wow, Lord, you were the one who put the finishing touches on that mountain and that yellow treed scene. Or when you look at a, a glade of trees, the colors that come together, you realize that it is God who's the perfectionist. And he's so good at it. Has anyone been noticing the sunsets lately? I couldn't begin to put those color schemes together, but the purples and the yellows and the whites, it is God's perfection that's made that happen. When you look at a child's hand, I wouldn't have thought of putting a dimple in the middle right there at each of the knuckles. That is definitely a God perfection thing. God is the perfectionist of our lives. We're not. Now, the problem, of course, comes when we want to wrestle control for that. And when we do, we diminish what God wants to do in our life. There was a famous story of a a speech uh, person in Parliament called William Gerard Hamilton. I'm reading a book about him. William Gerard uh, was a good speaker. In fact, he uh, was a great speaker. He gave the greatest speech probably in the history of Parliament. It lasted three hours. Problem was, that was his first and his last speech. He gave that one speech, but after he gave that speech, he realized the bar was so high that he actually couldn't write another speech that good again. And so he never gave another speech the rest of his life because he was trying to be perfect. They called him One Speech Hamilton. True story, I know a lot of people like that, that that have this bar in their mind of perfection that they think they must attain, and unless they get perfection, they are not going to do anything at all. Uh, Gore Vidal talked about this. He was interviewed by Tavis Smiley on TV recently, and this writer, this Tavis said, you know, Gore, you're an incredible, you're the great, a great writer. Gore Vidal said, no, I'm not a great writer, I'm just a good writer. It's too hard to be great. Don't put that on me. Just let me be good and, and let let greatness figure itself out. It's really what we're talking about with perfectionism. When you and I strive for that thing called perfectionism, we're actually putting a burden on ourselves that is only a God thing to do. And we're actually lying to ourselves. Even that speech from Parliament wasn't perfect. And that's why when we finish something, we should really just say, you know, good enough is good enough. So number one, let Jesus Christ be perfectionist. Let him be the perfect one. Number two, our perfection comes from Jesus Christ. And one of our big mottos at Highlands Church since the very beginning has been no perfect people allowed. 
You've heard us say that. It's really, it's caught on and people like it because people have been to so many churches where people pretend to be perfect. And it's so annoying because you know they're not perfect, but they're just pretending, right? Here we say no perfect people allowed, but actually, let me qualify that a minute. What we want to say is no people who think they have made themselves perfect are allowed. But we do believe that perfect people are allowed. What we allow into this place are people who have done this amount or whatever amount and are willing to let God take over at a certain point in their lives. But whenever we try to intervene, whenever we try to intervene into some perfectionistic tendency, we actually mess things up. Uh, Did anyone see the movie Cars? Uh, Pixar presentation did this movie Cars. The movie cost $140 million, which is insane to me. And every scene in that presentation took 17 hours. Every scene took 17 hours. They were asking the, the person who made that film, well, tell us about that. Like, was there anything hard about that animation? And he said, you know what? The one thing we couldn't do was to make kind of humanistic faces that were real. We couldn't do that. All the time and all the money that we put into it, we were unable to do that. Jesus Christ is the one who puts life into things. He's the one who makes things perfect in our lives. We can't do that. And you see people who try again and again and again to make things perfect, to perfect things. You see this everywhere from grass. Has anyone seen the, the new trend to pull out lawns and put in AstroTurf? What's wrong with dead grass? To me, that's more perfect than this attempt to make something perfect. In the worst case scenarios, you see plastic surgery, people trying to make themselves perfect in ways that, that are just not of God. God is the one who, let me, let me lay some heavy theology on you. I believe this whole book is about us being just good enough and allowing God to do the rest. I believe that's what this whole book's about. Let's take a couple of examples. Have you ever wondered why it says, the Bible says, you should work six days and rest on the seventh? Anyone wonder about that? Why didn't God say work seven days, go for it, and then another seven days? I believe it's because he knew that if we worked seven days, we would be being perfectionistic. So God wants us to rest on the seventh day, take a rest, and there God can work. Or giving our money. Has anyone wondered why the Bible said, give 10% of your money? I've always wondered why, why that? Why did God say that? Well, I think he wanted us to do what we wanted with 90% of our money and then let God do that last piece. Or anything, even the area of sin. You know, when we say, all have fallen short of the glory of God, what we're really saying is, we're not perfect. The Greek word for sin is hamartia. It literally means to, to miss the mark. That's what we're saying when we say people who come to our church, we don't want anyone here who thinks they've hit the mark. God is the one who helps us make up the difference between missing the mark and hitting the mark. So God's the perfect one, and our perfection comes from God. Well, what do we do with that, and how do we process that? Well, in a moment, we're going to have communion. And as we have communion, what I want you to say to yourself is, Jesus Christ died on the cross, and that was the most perfect thing he could have ever done. He made me perfect through that act. You know, I'm maybe like you, I don't like a lot of Easter stuff at Christmas. I like to keep my holidays separate. You know, I saw an Easter egg the other day with like, a, you know, a tree on it. Like, that's kind of weird. I saw an album from Little Richard that had Merry Christmas and then at the bottom, Happy Easter. 
all right, whatever. I even heard of a church once that like on Christmas Eve on the 24th had like a Good Friday service with people hanging on the crosses up front and nails going into them. I'm like, no, that's going way too far. But you know what I have the hardest time with this season about? Is everyone is trying to be so perfect. Everyone is trying to be so cheery and so happy and perfect. I came home from Vine Street last night, and honestly, I was in the worst mood. And Star said to me, what is wrong with you? And I said, I don't know. It's just I, I can't handle all of the people pretending like they're all just happy. Maybe I am the Grinch. Because <laughs> I know they're not. And I don't even like pretending about it. But I do know this, that our only hope in this life is what happened on a cross. And so if this time of year we can all simply say, that's as good as I can do. And then we allow Jesus Christ on the cross to make up the difference. That's our course to joy. That's where God can make us the free people that he wants us to be. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for this day, and I thank you that you made us the way we are. Lord, we ask forgiveness for the ways that we've tried to be perfect, that only you are perfect. And so I ask that you would help us to recognize our own area, and also we, Lord, ask that you would help to perfect us in that way, to help us to back away from the ways that we're putting ourselves forward, tricking ourselves we thank you that the way that you did that is on the cross, that that was the most perfect thing that ever did, happened. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.